And I, I thought about this when we talk about walking in the steps of Jesus. Big shoes. Big shoes. As we think about trying to be like Him and not just comparing ourselves to each other and say, well, as long as I'm as good as this person or better than this person, but actually trying to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and be like Him is a tall order. And tonight we're, not, we're going to look not just at how He walked, but where He walked. I think that's important that... When Jesus walked, you know, sometimes in the cartoons and comic strips and things like that, the wise man is like a guru sitting up on top of a mountain. And people will hike up to him to ask, you know, oh, oh great sage, and they'll ask his advice. Jesus didn't sit up on a mountaintop for all those who were healthy enough to, to climb up to him. Where did he go? He went down into the villages and he went down to the places where people were. He wasn't a guru on a mountaintop. He was a shepherd who walked among the sheep. And the Bible tells us, walk as he walked. John says, walk as he walked, to be like him. So if we want to be like him, it matters not just how we walk, but where we walk. And tonight we're going to look at the event in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus cleanses a leper. And you've probably heard a lot of, of the parables and the stories and the times that Jesus talked about lepers. But we're going to try to look at some things about how Jesus walked when he interacted with this leper and how he helped him. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to go ahead and read those verses first, and then we'll look at each one. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more of the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In each of those verses, we're going to see five good lessons about how to walk in his steps. Five hard things about how Jesus walked. And it's a, it's a challenge. It should be challenging when you think, that's difficult. That's hard for me. At least one of these five things will probably be difficult for you, if not more. The first one is helping the helpless. Look in verse 12. There came a man full of leprosy. To walk in his steps, it's not to go out and hobnob with the big wigs and the, the head honchos and all the people who have it all together. When Jesus went out, he spent a lot of time with people who needed a lot of help, didn't he? He did not go with the people who were batting a thousand, people who were doing great, people who were saying, you know, life is wonderful, everything is good. Jesus went to the helpless, the outcasts, the lowly. Have you ever heard that saying, you can tell something about a man by how he treats the person who can do him absolutely no good in return? How do you treat the person who can't do anything for you? A lot of times we talk about, I, you, know, you scratch my back and what? I'll scratch yours. I help you, you help me. You have something I want, I have something you want. That's what makes the world go round. You know, we'll take care of each other. If you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, it's helping people who can't do anything for you in return. Now, isn't this interesting? We struggle with this. We tend to like to help people who can help us back. In fact, it's kind of hardwired into our brain. Uh, it's called reciprocity. When someone does something for us, we want to do something for them. Someone makes something for us, we want to do something in return. It's even in some of our traditions. Do you remember, Mom, uh, when we moved in, Annie Mae Lane that lived next door, she made something for, for our family in a dish, and 
mom took the dish back to her and she said, oh, honey, she said, here in Texas, we don't return empty dishes. And we, we, we return, you know, we do something for you, you return, that's the way you do it. Someone does for you, you do for them. You keep things balanced. We don't like to be on the side where, where we can't do something in return. Isn't it interesting that even though we struggle with this concept, we try to teach it to our children when they're very little? How many of you, when you were small growing up, heard the, the fairy tale, the story of the lion and the mouse? And the lion is under the net and he can't get out. So the mouse comes and he chews the ropes away and, and, and the, the uh, I did it backwards. I ruined it. I'm not the one who read that fairy tale. The lion catches the mouse. He's about to eat the mouse. And the mouse says, please, Mr. Lion, if you'll let me go, someday I may be able to repay you. He says, what can a little mouse like you ever do for me? And, and he lets him go anyway. And later the mouse, it's not the point. <laughs> later on, the mouse saves the lion. And it's to teach someone you don't ever know who might be able to help you out. You don't know the person. I was trying to get into a building one time. You, did you ever heard the story about the quiz? And the last question on the quiz is, what is the janitor's name? I tell the host, what is the janitor's name? And the idea is you need to treat everyone who works here with respect. I had heard that story only about a year earlier. And I was trying to get into the building. And, and nobody had keys to get into this particular building. Except for the janitor who had keys to everything. And he was a nice guy who'd gotten to know everybody. And, and I, I thought, you don't ever know. Who might be able to help you out? Did Jesus help people because he thought maybe one day they'd be able to help him? Do you really think this leper, he thought, maybe I should heal this leper because one day maybe he'll do something good for me. If you want to walk as he walked, you've got to be willing to help the helpless, not just in the hopes that they might return, but because they need help. In Matthew, if you want to hold your place there, we'll be coming back to those verses. In Matthew chapter 9, In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, Jesus passes on from there and sees a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, we really admire the way that Jesus spends time with the people who need him most. Right? No one's Bible says that. When the Pharisees saw it, now the Pharisees were the most religious people of all, weren't they? I mean, they, they knew the scriptures, they knew God, what God had said. When the Pharisees saw the tax collectors and the sinners reclining with Jesus and his disciples, they said, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When you look back a few chapters in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus is going through the blessed are, blessed are, in verse 5 he says, uh, Blessed are the meek. For they, excuse me, in verse 3, chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, some translations have that as the beggarly. The beggarly in spirit. You know, when a beggar holds his hand out to you, what does he have in it? Nothing. He, he's hoping you'll put something in his hand. He holds the, 
the poor in spirit, the ones who have nothing to offer God, not the one who stands back and says, God, you owe me. I've done some good things for you, and you owe me some good things in return. Let's, let's take care of one another. Blessed are the poor or the beggarly in spirit, those with empty hands who have nothing to offer. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, those who understand that Jesus came to help the helpless. It's not the righteous. It's not the healthy who need a physician. If you want to walk in his steps, you have to be willing to help those who can't help you in return. Those who are helpless or lowly or on the fringes or outcasts. Sometimes that means helping those who are absolutely guilty. This is a danger sometimes when you're helping someone and you realize they're in this predicament because it's their fault. I like doing financial counseling. It's, uh, you know, so finances have so much to do with marriage problems and family problems and, and stress. And I got that finance degree, and it feels good sometimes to put it to some kind of, of use, but, but especially for young couples who are struggling and they're, they're deep in debt. And one of their big fears when they come in, I tell them before they come in, I say, now, one of you is going to cry before, before we're done. And they, they always kind of laugh at that. Oh, I'm not going to cry. So yeah, you will. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be ashamed of what you've done. And then I usually tell them about our debt, Heather, and where we've been and how much we owed and how long it took us to climb out of those things. If I said, I'd like to offer financial counseling to young couples who are deep in debt, but only if it wasn't your fault. Only if you didn't make any dumb decisions or spend where you shouldn't have spent or, or didn't run up a credit card that you shouldn't have been using in the first place. I only want highly financially responsible people who are deep in debt. I put a sign-up sheet out there on the wall. How many names are going to be on it? Can you imagine opening a counseling? I like to counsel people who are in trouble, who are struggling, but only if you haven't done anything to deserve it. No takers. It's difficult sometimes when, when you realize this. Here's somebody who needs help. Here, here's somebody who's needy. They're an outcast. They're an outsider. You know, this is hard for me sometimes when, when people come and they stand in the back of the auditorium. This is where I struggle with this application. People who stand in the back of the auditorium with their arms folded the first time they visit and say, this church isn't friendly. And my first thought is, no, you're not friendly. You know, the Bible says to have a friend, a man must show himself friendly. It's right there in Scripture. You want a friend, you need to be a friend. But you know what I found is I've, not everybody makes friends as easily as everybody else. You know, there are some people who come into the Lord, they come to visit the, the assembly, and, and they stand in the back. I, I didn't realize until I was older do you know how many people come to visit a congregation and circle the parking lot and leave? Several people have said that the first couple of times they came, they came, circled the parking lot and left. Some people come and park and sit there. We had a guy, he said, I came four times before I walked in the door. He said, I'd never been in a church building before. We had a young man come in on a Wednesday night, teenage, teenager, 17 years old. He walks in on a Wednesday night. We're, we're right at the end of class. And he walks in and he's going like this. And he walks right, I'm, I'm standing right, I mean, right like this. If someone walked in, he walks right in and he's looking around. And so, so we kind of closed class out and, I, and, and he walked up and he said, so this is church. He'd, he'd ridden up on his bicycle. He lived in some apartments nearby. He'd, he'd seen the kids outside. He rode up on his bicycle, parked it right in the middle of the foyer. And just brought it inside. I thought, this, this kid knew nothing. No experience, no... Sometimes people come with absolutely nothing knowledge, no experience, no pride in who they've been. They're broken, they're crushed, they're embarrassed. How did Jesus treat those people? 
Did he come and look for the people who, who knew all the answers and had it all together and knew exactly how everything ought to be and all their ducks were in a row? He says, those people don't need me. It's not the healthy who need a physician. I came to seek and save the lost. You know, sometimes it's not the guilty. Sometimes it's just the reluctant. Sometimes people are in need. Sometimes people are in trouble. Not because they did something wrong, but just because of circumstances outside of their control. Sometimes people get sick. Sometimes they have medical bills they can't handle. Sometimes a family member has done something wrong and, and they need help. They need some kind of encouragement. They need something from us. And they don't know how to ask. Or they don't receive well, even if they do ask. You know, we do this thing when, when we go to see someone and we say, let me know if there's anything I can do. Here, I'm going to give you this responsibility. I, I'm here to help you. You're going to have to call me and ask if you want me to help. I heard a great lesson one time from a, a, a man whose wife had had cancer. And he said uh, the best help they ever had, people would come in and look around and they'd notice the laundry was piled up. So they'd come and do the laundry or they'd check to see if the car was dirty and they'd wash the car or they'd see the kids playing and they'd offer to take the kids for an afternoon. They said, we go to people, we look, we see what they need and say, I'd like to do this for you. Not can, not may I, can I, not, you know, I'd like to do this for you. They realize there's need there. There's someone who needs help. Some people don't know how to ask. Some people are very uncomfortable asking. Some people are very reluctant to ask for help. I, I thought about this man that we're, we're looking here and he comes on to, to Jesus, and it's interesting, this translation says he was full of leprosy. This is not a guy who maybe has a little leprosy on one digit, or a little on his ear, or a little on his nose. He's eaten up with it. And he comes to Jesus, and he falls on his face, and he begs him, if you will, you can. He knows who to go to. He knows he can do it. And he comes to him, and he begs for this help. It's not his fault, but he needs help. Some people, it is their fault. They still need help. If we want to walk in his steps, we have to be willing to help the helpless. Look in the next verse, in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You know, that touch is important, isn't it? God created us for, for that, that physical contact, for that touch. Have you ever seen the studies of the, the baby monkeys? that they put the, in the cage with them. They put a stuffed mother, a wire mesh mother, and no mother. And, and they watch the health of the different babies. The ones in there with the fur-covered mothers, they do the best. They, they have that, that feeling of being held and being touched. The ones with, with no mothers get very sickly. And I'd read that story about those monkeys, and I'd used that before, but I thought there's an even better example. Have you ever read about some of the orphanages overseas? Where, where the babies aren't held, and they stop crying. They don't cry. And, and one of the ladies who had gone over to visit said they told her, they know nobody's coming. Nobody's going to pick them up. Nobody's going to touch them. Nobody's going to take care of them. So they learn very quickly, what's the use of crying? Nobody's going to touch me. Do you ever wonder what it would like, be like to be a leper in the times of Jesus? You know, under the old law, Jesus lived under the Old Testament law. And if you go back and look in the Old Testament, they had these very strict rules. You have to get away from everybody. You have to cover your mouth. When you see someone, you've got to let them know, unclean, unclean. You can't be around people. You can't be around your family. And you know, if you've got something wrong with you, you don't want people to know. But instead for the lepers, they've got to call it out. 
I think I, I told you last time I was here, can you imagine if you had to come in on a Sunday morning and go, influenza, influenza, you know, and announce to everybody that you're sick and let everybody know that, you know, athlete's foot, athlete's foot. You know, let everybody know what's wrong with you. Can you imagine walking around saying, leper, leper, I've got leprosy, just in case you didn't know, I've got leprosy. It was a horrible anti-social thing to do. You know, there's a whole caste of people in India that they classify as untouchables. It's not just lepers. It's, it's low-class people. When they drink, they don't touch their lips to the bottle. If you're an untouchable, don't, don't put your lips. That's only for the high-caste people. It's only for the important people. Don't put your lips on that bottle. Don't, don't touch what I touch. Don't get near me. One of the translators one time in India, Kumar, uh, he told me, he said, Kevin, today we're going to go to a leper colony. So we, we preach a couple of places that Sunday morning, and I, and I sit down, and I turn to Kumar, and I said, hey, I thought you said we were going to go to a leper colony today. He, he looked at me strangely, and he kind of gestured out to the people, and I had not been paying close enough attention. I started looking. People were missing fingers and ends of their noses. There was a little girl sitting in her father's lap, and and he didn't have fingers, and she, she had lost a couple of her fingers already. And I started looking around, and no, I don't know what I expected a leper to look like. I, I don't know if I expected them to have bandages wrapped around their heads or things like you've seen in movies and things like that. I didn't expect it to look just like y'all look, just without fingers and toes and, and other things. And I preached, and afterwards they came up to shake hands. I, I didn't know anything about leprosy. I didn't know if you could catch it immediately or if, you know, most types of leprosy, you have to be in contact for a, a period of time. And I think three out of the four types in India are curable with a, a course of medicine. And it's really nothing that you have to be that afraid of. But I didn't know that. And this woman walked up to me and she held out this stump. She wanted to shake hands. She didn't have much of a hand. But what do you do in a situation like that? You know what you do. You, you take their hand. You take their hand. You see it all in their face. You, you, you just, they're just exuding, please don't treat me like an untouchable. So as, as soon as I shook her hand, you know what happened. Everybody else lines up to shake hands. And I... I remember thinking, Heather, I just prayed, and I thought, I hope Heather understands why I came home with leprosy. I had to do it. I had to know, oh yeah, I did the gel in the car. I, maybe gel will take care of leprosy. But I, I tell you what, if I could go back, wouldn't, wouldn't you do it? If, I'm telling you, if you saw their eyes, you would. If you looked in their face, you would. Please, touch me. Treat me like a normal person. Treat me like someone who matters to you. You just preached about this Jesus who loves me. Do you? Then touch me. When you read that, and you read that Jesus sees that, he's full of leprosy, and Jesus... Now look, there's a difference. What do you see in verse 13? This leper did not reach out toward... That was, you don't do that if you're a leper. Jesus reached out to him, stretched out his hand... And touched him. In the footsteps of Jesus. You've got to be untouchable. The Pharisees didn't like it. Why are you hanging out with tax collectors? You know, as a kid, I didn't, I didn't understand that. You know, I watched Dad. He'd sit down. He'd file his paperwork. He'd file his taxes and send them off. And I thought, 
Why do they hate the tax collector so much? You know? And even then, even if you pay taxes, you might think, well, I know why. I don't like that. But tax collectors today are not like tax collectors back then. Boy, tax collectors back then, how did they make their living? You know from Zacchaeus, you cheated people. You lied to people. You, you charged more than, than they owed. And you were collecting taxes for whom? For the enemy, for the, for the people. You were a traitor of your own people. You lied to your own people to enrich the people who didn't like your people. Tax collectors, you, you had dishonest, traitors, just not, not people you want to be around. And the prostitutes, of course, prostitutes selling their bodies. Why would you want to be with them? If you wanted to find Jesus, where would you look? You wouldn't go to the house of the Pharisees because he wouldn't be there. He'd be with the people who needed him. He would touch the untouchable. He'd be with the lepers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the people who nobody else wanted to be around. How do we walk in those steps? Those are big shoes to fill. I think it is an absolutely crazy thing in human nature that people want you to touch their wounds and their scars. Troy and I talk about that sometimes. That's, that's, why, that's why I ask Rebecca about who... The day I met Rebecca, we're down on the mom's in the hospital, and I met Rebecca, and we're downstairs. She said, I want you to come up and meet Louise. Come upstairs and meet Louise. Never met Louise a day in my life. Rebecca introduces me. First thing Louise wants me to do, touch the surgical scar on her leg. See? See it? Touch it. I went in to visit a man one time, and, and he was all covered up, and he'd had a hip replacement surgery. And the wife said, look what they did. And she brings up their phone and starts showing me pictures of his hip replacement surgery, he's got no pants on. <laughs> but she needed to show me. And, it's, and some of you may have experienced this. And, and I, I believe it has something to do. People will watch you and show you something very bad. And they watch you to see how you react. And if you freak out, then they freak out. But if you're okay, and you're like, oh yeah, that's a big one. You know? Hey, looks like they sewed that up really nicely. It, it, it has some calming effect. It, I think it's something from the very beginning. You know when your children fall down and they fall down and they bonk their head and it's so loud you can hear it in the other room? The first thing they do is look at you and they look for a cue to see if they need to be worried. Are you worried? If you're worried, I'm worried. If you're okay, I'm okay. I think that's some of what that... Do you see this? And then they watch. Are you, are you worried about this? We went to visit a lady in the hospital last night who, who died 3 o'clock this morning. She was in a coma. And people watch to see how you approach sick people, how you approach people who are dying. They watch to see. Will you touch the untouchable? Did you know that when they interview cancer patients and ask them about how they're doing emotionally, that one of the, the biggest uh, concerns is they say, people don't touch me anymore. When someone finds out someone has cancer, that we almost subconsciously pull back and you know, may, maybe I could get it. You know, may, or, and, and we may not even be thinking about doing that, but they said for someone to come in and to take their hand and to, and to give them that contact because everybody in their lives kind of takes a step back from that illness. You know, those are, those are both health issues, but do you know people do that when it's not just health issues? Look at my ugly. See my ugly. Can't tell you how many times, especially young men for some reason, who will come in and say, I, I, I need to... I need to talk about something. I need to tell you something. But after I do, you're going to hate me. This is what I've done. This is what I've said. This is where I've been. 
I don't, I don't know where we get that in our mind that people who love us only love us because we fooled them into thinking we're not who we are. You know, my, my, one of my son's close friends just moved away. And, sorry, they wrote letters back and forth to each other, um, kind of talking about that friendship. And it, it, was, it was neat to read both of those. But he let me read that letter. In that letter, they were talking about times that, and I don't even know what, it, I'm not even going to ask, talked about when they had real talk. And you don't think, if I tell this person my ugly, if I tell this, show this scar, they're going to walk out on me. You trust that they love you. This is who Jesus was. People came to him. They knew they could come to him. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, they knew they could come to him and they knew he wasn't going to go, ah, get away from me. You're a prostitute. Do you know I did a ride, a ride along with a policeman down in Third Ward and every time we would stop to question one of the prostitutes, first thing he would do is put on a pair of rubber gloves. And he said, I will not put them in the back of my car because the back of my car will, will be filthy. They'll urinate, they'll defecate in the car, they'll do anything to, to, to be released. And he said, you know, they, they've got all kinds of diseases and he said, we just, we just leave them alone most of the time. Don't want to touch them. Lepers prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. If you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you have to be willing to touch the untouchable. And it, it, it can get dirty. It can get filthy. We, we were reaching out to a friend and, and he was hanging in our van one night and he was talking to us. And he was blankety blank, 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 just language here and language there and dropping all kinds of things. And the kids were sitting right behind me and they were still fairly little. And then he said some very, some very mild word. And he said, oh, excuse me. I thought, you have no idea what you've been saying. It was all so common to him. And as we drove away, I, I told the kids, I said, if we're going to love him, if we're going to help him, if we're going to reach out to him, you're probably going to hear a lot of that. He doesn't even hear it himself. We'll work with him. We'll teach him. But sometimes people come with a lot of, a lot of filth. And they want to know if you're going to see their ugly and see their scar and love them anyway. You know the answer with Jesus, don't you? He still loved them. You want to walk in his steps? You help those who can't help you? You're willing to look at their ugly and see them for who they are? Look at the next verse. Verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. He charged him to tell no one. If you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you're going to have to help to be helpful and not to be noticed. Don't let big check mentality creep into your mind. You know what big check mentality is? You're going to donate some money. You're not just going to send in an anonymous check. You're going to get them to print a big check so that everybody can see it. Do you remember during Hurricane Katrina that Sean Penn went to Louisiana? Did you know he took a film crew with him? A film crew. I'm going to go help people. Do you have your camera with you? You got plenty of, plenty of film? You got some, those lights here? Okay, I'm about to help someone. Record. Make sure everybody sees what I'm doing. Jesus was publicly and privately helpful. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus said this. 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. None. Beware. Be careful of doing these things to be seen by other people. If you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we help, we serve, whether people see us or not. I had a friend that I worked with in the military, and his first question every time an email came out for an additional duty, is someone willing to volunteer for this or that? His first question was, is the commander going to be there? Is there going to be any chance for FaceTime? Is he going to see me? Is he going to see me serving? You never have to ask that question with God. You never have to say, if I serve, is anybody going to notice? Yes, God will see. And that's enough. You want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? That's enough. Help to be helpful. Do it because it's right. When we were at camp, there was a, a counselor who, um, they needed someone who was able to stay up all night with one of the campers having a, a difficult time. And he volunteered because he knew he didn't have to drive the next day. And I, I told the congregation about that. I really admired that, that he volunteered to stay up all night long. On the last day of camp, when everybody's exhausted, he was mad at me. He came up later and he said, I didn't do that for you to tell the church that I did it. And he, he was irritated that I'd told people. And I thought that's a, was, I hated that he was mad, but it was kind of refreshing that, that he wasn't glad that I'd told people. He was upset. Don't tell people when I do stuff like that. I didn't do it to be seen. I think it's a challenge with social media. I think it's not only easing, easy, but I think it's also tempting to be seen by men. Because now it's not just the people who are present, but it's everybody on our feed, everybody who has access. They, they can all see how Christ-like we're being. Not, maybe not a bad question to ask ourselves, would I do it if I couldn't post it? Would I still participate? Would I still share? Would I still do this if nobody ever finds out? Jesus would help people and say, don't tell anyone. Not because he was worried about his reputation or anything else like that, but... Once people found out, more people came. He wasn't worried about people knowing. If you want to help like Jesus helped, he's going to be doing it without recognition sometimes. Next verse in Luke chapter 5. Verse 15. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. I tell you in verse 15. If you want to walk like Jesus walked, be prepared. Because the need is great. You know, there were times when Jesus saw them. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord to the har of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Is there more work than there are workers? If you want to walk as Jesus walked, be prepared because the, the need is great. In Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6 and verse 31. The Bible says, He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. The need was great. Lots of people who needed help. Lots of people who wanted healing. Lots of people who wanted to hear him preach. Do you know what, in, in regard to cats, do you know what TNR stands for? Trap, neuter, return. 
It's the idea of how to manage stray cats in the United States because they're out of control. Trap, neuter, return. You trap the cats, you neuter the cats, you return them, you tag them, you manage the colonies until they just die by attrition. It's supposed to be a humane way. It's all over California. You know, they said when they studied the numbers of what it takes to keep a cat colony from growing, they said what they were doing, millions of dollars have been, have been poured into it. They said, here's the number of how many you would need to do. Here's the number that you're doing, 10%. What you're doing isn't making any difference. Millions of dollars poured into that. No difference. Dad, you remember when you went to India and you said you could take a million dollars over to India and not be a drop in the bucket of all the need? How many pairs of glasses could you buy? And how many bicycles and lanterns? And how many roofs could you build? And There's just an endless need. And, and you have to be prepared if, if you serve. Have you ever heard that saying, no good deed goes unpunished? Hey, there was an old saying that mothers used to tell their daughters a long time ago. They would say, marry a man with a lot of keys. Have you ever heard that? Isn't that strange? Tonight, I'm marry a man with a lot of keys. Can you figure out what the idea was? A guy who has a lot of keys is he's trusted, he's responsible, he's, you know, people, have, people have given him access. Marry a man with a lot of keys because people trust him. People have given him things to do to be responsible for. Find someone responsible. Find someone trusted. You know, today, I don't know how you change that to a modern, modern example. But you know this. They say if you want something done, ask. Someone busy. What do we mean by that? What do we mean? We see someone doing something. That person cares. Let's go to them. That person will listen. Let's go to them. That person will help. Let's go to them. That person is generous. Let's go to them. If you want to walk as Jesus walked, you have got to be prepared to be mobbed. Because the more you help, the more people need help. The more people you'll know, the more people will find out. Do you remember what was the missionary's name in, in Vietnam? Ralph Burchett. Ralph had an incredible prayer life. He loved to pray. And, and they were in Vietnam for a while. And, and, and he's in Gladys. He said that people, start, people would ask him, please pray for us. Because they knew the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so their prayer list would grow and grow and grow and grow. And one day he said, he told Gladys, he said, Gladys, we're going to have to get up earlier. So they set their alarms and they would wake up an hour earlier every morning to pray. Because so many people knew that he prayed. When he said, I'll, I'll be praying for you, he meant it. And so you think about that. If you want to walk as Jesus walked, Jesus was willing to help people. Even though he had other things and preaching that he needed to do, he helped people. And sometimes he had to get out of town quickly. Sometimes he had to leave quickly because it was hard to preach when so many people came to him for help. Final thing. If you look in verse 16 of Luke chapter 5, if you want to walk as Jesus walked, you have to refill the tank. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Wait a minute. I said he wasn't a guru on a mountain. Why is he going out into desolate places? Why not be where the people are? If you want to help people, if you love people, if you're looking for the, the sick who need a physician, what doctor would say, I'm going to open a clinic and I'm going to put it out in the middle of the desert? He wasn't going out to set up shop. He went out to pray. He had to go out and fill up the tank. In the book of Mark chapter 1, Verse 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. He had to get away sometimes to refill the tank. 
so that he could fulfill his mission, so he could do what he needed to do. What about us? You know, I think this is hard. Some of you in here tonight very much want to help people. You want to serve people. You want to be there for the outcast. You want to reach out to the needy. You want to help those who are sick or lonely or, or need you in some way. You want to do it. And your problem tonight might be that you don't know when to stop and refill the tank. If you want to serve like Jesus served, there are times you have got to learn to say no. And for some of you, that's the hardest thing in the world. You feel guilty. You feel like a bad Christian. You, you feel bad for saying, no, I can't do that. Do you know, I think it's one of the only ways that you can be a healthy, thriving servant of God is to learn when you need to say no. You can't do everything. And even if you could, it wouldn't be good for other people, would it? If you tried to do everything, a, a preacher at, at a lectureship one time got up and he said, I think the greatest threat to the priesthood of all, all believers is the idea of a clergyman. Someone who comes in and, and says, I I'll do it all. You all just, you just sit back, you just show up on Sunday morning and listen, and I'll preach to you, and then the rest of the week, I'll do all the work for you. In the book of Nehemiah, when they're building up the wall around the city, do you know what it says? It says the wall was built to half its height because Nehemiah was an animal. He was a machine, Right? The wall was built to half its height because Nehemiah worked day and night while everybody else watched him. The Bible says the wall was built to half its height because the people had a mind to work. Jesus knew when to go out and pray. And when Peter came and said, Hey, everybody's looking for you back there. Jesus said, Okay, I'm going there. Do you know what he said to those people back there who wanted him? What did he say by his actions? No. And Jesus never sinned. It is not sinful to say no if that allows you to say yes for the duration. Have you ever failed to restock your first aid kit? Oh, everybody's coming down. You don't restock your first aid kit, you end up with a bunch of gauze and those little round. You know, you open it up and you're like, who is this going to help? Don't get like that. Don't give out so much yourself and never replace it that all you're left with is some useless first aid kit. There's a car called a, a Bugatti Veyron. It set the land speed record, I think, a couple of years ago. It's was, it was fascinating to me how fast it could go in these dry lake beds. Can you imagine the mileage that it gets? Single digits, low single digits. And they said it shreds its tires. Don't be that car. Don't shred your tires and burn through your gas and serve, and then say, I'm done, I'm out of here, I quit. Jesus knew when to say no. He was prepared for the great need. He knew when to be helpful. He was willing to touch the untouchable. He was there for the helpless. That's not an easy path. When we talk about filling those shoes, those are huge shoes. But they're his shoes. So if we want to walk as he walked, that's the path. That's the way. The question is whether or not we're willing to, to walk in those footsteps. Okay. Thank you for your attention tonight.